Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. So, last year I concluded um, our series on the book of Acts by uh, saying, that was just a, a few months ago that we actually wrapped up the book of Acts But I said, if you remember, that I would return in January, and in January that I wanted to summarize several points, I wanted to apply them to our church, what we had learned from the book of Acts and how it applies to our church. So I'm going to do that today, and if necessary, and well, yes, next week as well, and then if necessary, a third week uh, also, but at least this week, next week, uh, we're going to do that. So if you have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 1, we're going to read there in, in just one moment, just a, a few passages, a few verses of Scripture. Um, but we've just recently celebrated the advent of Jesus Christ, which was uh, his coming to us. At Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus came to us, God in the flesh. And so we've just celebrated his advent, the time when he came to us the first time. And, and after the Bible says that after he completed What he came to do, after he finished what he had come to do, then he told his disciples that it was then necessary for him to leave them. So he came to them, but then he told his disciples after he finished his work that it was necessary for him to leave them. And Acts chapter 1 contains the details of his departure from his disciples. We call it the ascension. Of Jesus Christ, that moment that he ascended back to the Father, ascended back to heaven to be with God the Father, to rejoin that glory that had always been his from the beginning of creation. And it was necessary for Jesus to leave, he told his disciples, so that God could then send the Holy Spirit. And you know, you know this from already from our study of the book of Acts. You see, Jesus had finished what he had come to do, but there remained more for his followers to do. So Jesus came, he finished what he had come to do, and then he said, it's necessary for me to leave because there is more for you to do, and you'll need the Holy Spirit in order to be able to accomplish what you have to do. Now, there's a, that's an important point uh, for, for me to emphasize this morning. In fact, it's the whole point of the book of Acts, which records what then the first century church began to do. They got busy about the Father's business. And it's the main reason why we are here today. It's the main reason why we remain here And that is to do the work that Jesus Christ has given us to do. I mean, we have work to do that is remaining for us to do. And so Jesus did not leave his disciples um, all alone to figure out how to finish the work, how to accomplish what he had told them to do. Jesus promised that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, which would happen, he said, not, not long after I leave. I'll leave, not long afterwards, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so, um, here's the point, he left them. He, he left the church. But he left them with two things. He left them with a great commission. 
He left them with a responsibility, a task that was in front of them. The Great Commission is to go and to make disciples of all nations. So he left them with a great commission and he also left them with an incredible promise. He said to them, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So he sent his Holy Spirit to be, to be with us. And friends, that's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to be the people of God here in the world, to be a people who are in this world, but not of this world. We're in this world. We're not of this world. We have been saved from this world. However, we have not been taken from this world because we remain for a purpose. We have been set apart to do the work that Jesus Christ has left for us to do. We are here for a purpose, and that is to bear witness to others about the hope that we have received through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, to be his witnesses. And those early disciples demonstrated for us um, how to be the church, how to carry out the responsibility that we have to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So we have examined their examples as we worked our way through the book of Acts, and I've taken many lessons from it. I hope that you have also, but what I want to do today, next uh, week, is I want to condense as much of it as I can into three descriptions, uh, three descriptions of the New Testament church, which I hope, which I believe, which I desire to become descriptions for us also for Glad Tidings Church. Here they are. I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about each one of them. The three descriptions of a New Testament church that I desire to see become descriptions of Glad Tidings uh, Church as well. Number one, the New Testament church, they were together in worship. Together in worship. Number two, they were united by the Word. United by the Word. And number three, they were empowered to witness, empowered to witness. Now, there are just a few verses in Acts chapter 1 that's going to help me make those points this morning uh, at least. And so I want you to look at your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, number 12. Then they returned. This is after Jesus had ascended. Then they, the disciples, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, that is when they had entered Jerusalem, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Verse 14, and all these were with one accord, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. We're so grateful that you loved us in such a way that you sent your only son to die on a cross so that we might be redeemed from our sins and so that we might be adopted as your children. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. We're glad that Jesus did not leave us comfortless, but that he sent help to us from heaven. And we pray that the Holy Spirit might come now and that, Lord, you might anoint me to preach what you desire for us to hear this morning. 
God, we desire to be a church that is faithful to the New Testament patterns that we have seen in the book of Acts. And Lord, we need your help to be able to do that. Give us wisdom. God, give us discernment. And please, God, give us a willingness to do what you want us to do instead of what we think is best, God. So God, please grant us the power that you've promised to us and help us, Lord. Help us to have the same kind of influence in our city and in our region and in the world as the first century church had in theirs. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Now, before I give any detail uh, to those three descriptions that I've already mentioned this morning, I want to emphasize a very important point, and that's the importance of, the importance of unity, the importance of unity in the body of Christ. There is, there is a common theme of unity in each one of these three descriptions. The first century was together in worship. They were united by the word, and they were all empowered to witness for Jesus Christ. Um, you may recall that there's a passage actually in Acts chapter 4 that explicitly states that the early church, that they, quote, shared all things in common with one another. The church was radically united uh, with, with one another. Now, that is a, that's a measure of unity that was uh, unique to the earliest local body of believers there in Jerusalem. And it probably soon became impractical for, for them as the church grew exponentially, as it grew numerically, and as it grew uh, also geographically. It was not a, it, they were not able to maintain that same sort of having everything in common. That is, uh, they didn't all continue to share everything that they had necessarily. Nevertheless, they maintained that radical sense of unity with, with one another. And their commitment was preserved uh, by continuing to care for widows, to feed the hungry, and, and to help the poor. Besides, the point that I want to make here this morning is, uh, is the enduring value of unity in the body of Christ. God has set a premium on the unity in his church Unity is important, of utmost importance to the, the mission and the ministry of the church. In fact, a significant factor for the success of the first century church uh, was that they were in one accord with one another. That they were in one accord. We saw that in several places in the book of Acts. Most notably, you remember in chapter 2 that says on the day of Pentecost, they were what? They were all together and they were all in one place when the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, upon them. Now listen, that condition, that, the fact that they were all in one place, they were all together, they were all in one accord on the day of Pentecost, that condition was created in the verses that we've just read a moment ago. The disciples left the place where Jesus had ascended back into heaven and the Bible says they returned to Jerusalem, which is what Jesus had told them to do. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem for the promise uh, of the Father. So they had returned to Jerusalem um, 
uh, to wait for the Holy Spirit. However, they did not all return to their own places. They returned to one place, the, the upper room, the place that they had been staying. And they came, there in the upper room, they came into one accord in the, in the upper room. So they came into one accord. And listen, that was a significant decision for each one of the disciples. And how many knows that that, that level of unity that they achieved there, that it affected the entire church and the trajectory of its ministry and its mission uh, throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Unity is essential to the effectiveness of the church of Jesus Christ. Unity is essential to us if we want to make the same kind of impact in our world that the early church made in their world. Now listen, those disciples, they all had their own families. Uh, they all had their separate lives. They all had their separate identities. And the one thing, or should I say the one person that they all had in common was who? Was Jesus Christ. The one person they all had in common was Jesus Christ. And now that he was gone, it, it would have been possible for each one of them to take their unique experience of Jesus Christ, their unique relationship with Jesus Christ to return to Jerusalem and in their own place and in their own way pursue their own dreams and their own goals of what they thought it meant to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So when they went back to Jerusalem, they could have said, you know, Jesus is gone now, and so I'm going I'm to go to my house and wait on the promise. I'm going to go back about my business while I wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And to be honest, that's how the gospel is often preached nowadays, that Jesus is the means to help you achieve your personal goals and your personal plans. But listen to me this morning. That's not the New Testament pattern. The Bible says the disciples came together. They came together and with one accord, they devoted themselves to prayer, seeking to fulfill God's plan, not their plan, not their agenda. They weren't after their own agenda. They didn't they weren't trying to make it about them. They came together to devote themselves to prayer. They came into one accord to seek after God's purpose and God's plan uh, for their life. So it's, it's easy for us to overlook these verses that we've just read as simply a prelude to what happens in, in chapter 2. However, th these verses are no mere prelude to what happens in chapter 2. These verses are no mere prelude to what transpires in the rest of the book of Acts. In fact, these verses are instrumental to what God does next in the church. Do you see that? It was, it was instrumental that they came together in one place and sought God with one accord. And it was then that God poured his spirit out upon the church. So it was instrumental that they came to a place of unity uh, with one another. And it was fundamental to everything that the church was able to achieve from that point forward. 
So when a church, here's uh, the point about unity that I want to make this morning. When a church is able to overcome their individual uh, preferences, their individual plans, when they're able to overcome their own prejudices, and when they're able to come together to seek the fulfillment of God's purpose for them as a body of believers, then I believe that they can achieve great things by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many are with me this morning? I believe that if we, like the early disciples, if we will come together, if we'll lay aside our own personal preferences, our own personal designs of of what we think God wants to do, what we want God to do, and if we'll say, God, we're here for you to do what you desire to do in our midst. God, we're here to serve whatever purpose you have for us to serve. I'm not here seeking my own agenda. We don't want to make our own name great. We're not here, Lord, to do our own thing. We're here to do what you want us to do. And when we come to that place of unity and to that place of one accord, then God can use any people like that. He can use us to do great things by the power of the Holy Spirit. So unity is essential to the effectiveness of a New Testament church. If we want to be a New Testament church, then, then we must pursue unity. We must come together, which is why Paul said to the Ephesians, listen to this. He said to them, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How many believes unity is important to the body of Christ? Unity is essential to what God desires to do in our church and through us. Therefore, I'm going to ask you, um, before we go any further, I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your head. And would you join me as we pause and, and we just go to the Lord right now and say, Lord, um, we desire unity. God, we want to be all about what you want to be all about. Not our own, we don't want to do our own thing. So, Lord, help us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you have called us, Lord, out of darkness, and you have called us into your marvelous light. God, we pray that you would give us the grace that we need, Lord, to do what Paul says here, that, that Lord, we would walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that we have received as the people of God. So, Lord, we come to you this morning to confess the evil deeds of darkness, which we sometimes hide in our hearts. We pray that God you would search us and see if there is any evil way in us, God. Forgive us, dear Lord, of division. Forgive us, God, of deceit. Forgive us, O God, of dissension. God, forgive us of gossip or anger or pride or malice. God, forgive us of resentment or anything, God, that would hinder the unity of this body of believers. God, we pray that you teach us to walk and walk with all humility and gentleness and with patience. God, help us to bear with one another in love. Make us eager, God, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Lord, I pray that if we bear any offense, if we 
harbor any resentment, if we nurse a grudge against a brother or a sister, if we are, have any measure of prejudice or racism in our hearts. Father, if we look down on a brother or a sister, that God, we would confess it to you right now. And that, Lord, we would pray for the strength that we need to be reconciled to one another. So, Lord, we lay aside our differences and we submit our personal preferences to you for the sake of the gospel that we preach to others. And God, we pray that you'd cause our love to overflow for each other, God. Bring us into one accord and fill us, God, with your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone who's in agreement, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Unity was an essential factor in, in everything that the New Testament church accomplished. That's why they fought so hard for unity. We talked about that. That's why they strove to maintain that unity in, in their body. Therefore, um, so unity was essential to everything in the New Testament church. Therefore, it is expressed in, in each of the three descriptions that I've chosen to highlight. They were together in, in worship. And they were united by the word. And they were all empowered uh, to witness for Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, I don't have time to cover all three of those uh, today, so let me try to, what I'm going to try to do is summarize the first one, all right, and then we'll return to describe the other two next week, all right? But first of all, let's talk about together in, in worship. Question number one in the uh, Westminster Catechism is this, what is the chief and the highest end of man? What is the chief and the highest end of man. And the response is this. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to fully enjoy him forever. Now listen, we're, we're not a catechetical church. We don't, we don't have a catechism. Nevertheless, uh, how many knows that accurately reflects what we believe to be the highest, the greatest purpose for all humanity. That we are created to glorify God. God. Look at your neighbor and say, you were created to glorify God. Each one of us were created to glorify him. Now listen, that, to glorify God, that includes much more than we typically think about when we talk about worship. In fact, it, it actually includes everything uh, that we do. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, do all to the glory of God. Amen? So Paul includes even the things that we eat or drink. So when you go to lunch today, uh, eat or drink in such a way that you will glorify God. Amen? <laughs> um, so everything that we do, we should glorify God in everything that we do. But, but worship uh, is what best describes how we glorify God, how we give him glory. Worship is an act, and as I just said, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it, 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 that suggests it could be anything. Worship is, is an act that is offered to God for his glory, for his glory. Worship is how we honor God as our creator. Worship is how we honor God as our savior. 
Worship is how we honor God as our Lord, and therefore, this is important, uh, it doesn't depend it doesn't depend on how we feel or what we like. How I many knows it's, it's all about Him? <laughs> worship honors God as our Creator, as our Savior, as our worship is about Him. So it doesn't, doesn't matter, depend on how we feel. It doesn't depend on what we like. And so I'm afraid I might offend some of you uh, today. I'm sorry for it. I don't, I don't do it intentionally. I don't like to do that. <laughs> so I'm, but I may offend some of you here today, but I believe that one of the most regrettable things that we have allowed ourselves to believe about worship is that it must appeal to our desires and our senses. The, the belief that, well, if I don't like it, it can't be worship. That if it, it's not moving me somehow, then it can't be worship. Uh, that's why, listen, that's why some people, that's why some people think they can't worship if there's drums in the sanctuary. Because, well, I just don't think that that honors God. That's why some people think that they can't worship unless there are drums <laughs> in the sanctuary. Because we think that it has to appeal to our senses and uh, our preferences. That's why we sometimes keep our hands uh, in our pockets when we're singing one song, but we'll raise them when we're singing another song because we think it has to appeal to our senses and um, our preferences. Can I just tell you this morning that if your worship depends more on whether we're singing a hymn or whether we're singing a song by Hillsong, then it might be more about you than it is about God. Amen? So I say amen. <laughs> Thank you. I, I know that might offend some of you this morning. But if you care more about the forms of worship than you care about the one that we're worshiping, then there's, then there's a problem in our worship. Amen? Because it's not about the forms. It's, it's not about those things that are... Uh, now, I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. Uh, but it's not about those superficial things. It's about us giving honor and glory to God. He is the creator. He is our savior. And he is our Lord. It's not, worship is not about us. Worship is about him. Just say amen because I need to hear it. Amen. So worship is, is about giving glory and honor uh, to God. God is much less concerned about the forms of worship than he is about the faith that is behind them. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about forms at all. In fact, in his word, he has prescribed some of those forms for us. But here's the thing, even, about the, the, even the forms that God's word prescribes, raising your hands, clapping your hands, dancing, singing, music, all of those things, uh, here's the thing about those forms. How many knows you can, you can sometimes fake the forms? You can sometimes, what you can't fake is the faith behind the forms. So God cares more about the faith that is behind the forms. And here's what's even worse. Even worse, you can confuse, if you're not careful, you can confuse your enjoyment of worship 
for God's enjoyment of worship. And you can miss the whole point if you think it's about what I like. And it's about what makes me happy, what pleases my senses. If you think that, then it may be that you've missed the whole point of worship. Now listen, worship can be beautiful. I believe worship ought to be beautiful, don't you? I believe worship ought to be beautiful. I think that it ought to be enjoyable. It is enjoyable. Somebody say amen. It is enjoyable. So my vision for Glad Tidings Church includes a worship ministry that has the very best musicians. It has the very best singers in, in all of our city. I want to see, see our worship ministry be the very best in, in uh, Dunn, North Carolina. Can I get an amen for that? That's my vision, that we would have that kind of worship ministry, a ministry that leverages music and songs and arts and technology, both old and, and new, to make his praise glorious. But we will do it for God's glory and not our own. Amen? We will do it for his glory and, and not our own glory. So passionate, sincere worship that glorifies God is a distinguishing feature of a New Testament church. And worship that glorifies God, let me give these points to you before we end. Worship that glorifies God, three things. Number one, it is always Christ-centered. Worship that glorifies God is always, we sang it this morning, let it be Jesus. Let it be Jesus. How many knows he is the one that we are singing to. Amen. He is the one that we are glorifying. He is the one that we are worshiping. Amen. And so when it becomes about the forms and it's not about Jesus, then how many knows we've lost the right focus, right? I'm glad that we have the right focus here at Glad Tidings Church. It's my heart, my determination. We're always going to make it about Jesus Christ. So, um, Worship in the New Testament church, worship that glorifies God is always Christ-centered. It's always, about, it's always about Jesus. Number two, worship that glorifies God is corporately based. It is based in the body of Christ. It's based in the body. That doesn't mean that you can only worship God at church, but it does mean that you do worship God as a part of the church. Do you see that nuance it's an important, important distinction. Uh, you can worship, let me say it a different way. You can worship God alone in your car, at home, wherever. And I think, personally, I think that you ought to do that. How many do that? You worship God when you're alone. So you can worship God alone, but you are never alone in your worship to God. You are a part of the church, a part of the body of believers you are part of a worshiping community of saints that worship God in spirit and in truth. That means that your way is not the only way to worship God. Uh, some people worship God. See, the thing, about, um, the thing about worship technology today, and not worship technology, but if you got your iPhone or your iPod, um, how many knows you can tailor your playlist to be just who it is that you want to listen to? And I do that. Uh, Pandora, you can thumbs up or thumb down a song, right? I like that song. I'll give that a thumbs up. Praise God. 
Next song comes up, ah, not so much. I'm going to give that a thumbs down. <laughs> and I, I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. So in my prayer time, my worship time, I listen to the, those songs that are going to lift me up and build me up. I think that's great. But it doesn't mean that only those songs worship God. It means that somebody else, that on their playlist, they might have southern gospel music. They might have classical music. They might have different kinds of music that appeal to them. See, when you're a part of a worshiping community, you acknowledge my way is not the only way. <laughs> there are other ways to worship God. There are multiple ways of, of worshiping God. And so when, it, when worship is corporately based, I'm not saying it only happens at church, but I'm saying worship is something that happens in the church. Everybody in the church is supposed to be a worshiper. So your way is not the only way, which is, which is why, in fact, it is good to worship together regularly with other believers so that you're not just isolating yourself in your own experience, but that you are coming together with others in one accord because it's not just about what appeals to me. It is about Jesus Christ. Amen? In fact, if you think that your way to worship is the only way to worship, then it may be that you have created an idol for yourself because you've just said, this is the only appropriate way to worship. So, um, worship that glorifies God is Christ-centered. It's corporately based. It comes out of the body of, in a community of believers. And then number three, worship that glorifies God is always saturated with prayer, saturated with prayer, because prayer is um, the main way that we keep our focus on God. It's the main way that we go to him and say, Lord, we're, we are in need of your grace. Lord, we are in need of your touch. We are in need of you. Amen. Because it's it's not by our might. It's not by our power. How many knows it's by his spirit, says the Lord. And it's when the church comes together and we cry out to God in worship and in prayer that God hears our prayers and honors our hearts. And when we come together in unity in that way, that he fills us, just as the New Testament church, and, and again, I'm going to talk more about this later, but just in the New Testament church, it was when they came together in one accord and they were worshiping God and praying and devoting themselves to prayer and seeking God's purpose in their life. That was when God poured out his spirit upon them and empowered them and enabled them to do the work that he had called them to do. Now listen, we've got, we've got a job that is in front of us in 2019. How many believe that? That Jesus Christ has left us. What I've been describing is the church that Jesus left. <laughs> he came and he gave himself for the church and then he left the church. And he has left us for a purpose. He has, he has left us here to finish the work, to do the work that remains for us to do here in Dunn, North Carolina to do the work that God has called us to do in our region and to go and to make disciples of all nations. He's given us a great commission. 
But he's given us an incredible promise too. And I will be with you always. He's given us his spirit. And I want, I want to see us do more than we've ever done. In 2019, we'll do more than we've ever done before for the kingdom of God. Amen. If we're going to do that, then how many knows we need his help? We need his anointing. We need his touch. We need his Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you if you would to bow your head. And would you join with me as we pray right now? Mike, would you come to the piano? Father God, we need you, Lord, this morning. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.